Good morning. Glad you guys are in here. We got the temperature down. Last night it was like roasting. We were having trouble fighting off the heat, but this morning it's good. Before we go any further, though, I just want to uh, let you guys for a minute, can we just praise God for just the ministry that did go on at Royal Family Kids Camp? That was just awesome. A shout out to the Glippos who are in here. They have done hard work over the years to get us involved with Royal Family Kids Camp. Thank you guys so much for all that you've done and the work that you have done. Thank you. Awesome. And uh, so we're going to be back into this series called Branded Living, talking about a life that is shaped a- a- around the name of Christ. And uh, before we dive into that, though, I want to ask you guys to join with me in prayer. Now let's, let's do this together. So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, just Royal Family Kids Camp, for all all the things that have gone on there and the blessing to those foster children is we're going to be engaged in a conversation about families and our own homes. Would you help us just rightly apply these principles and these thoughts so that you would be glorified and God that um, our children would, would have the best leg up and opportunity for it. Our grandchildren would have a knowledge of you and would live for you and live out uh, following after you together. We ask that you bless this in Jesus name. Amen. You know, I'm, I'm up here today in a bit of fear and trepidation, as they say, a little uh, um, concern personally, because, man, for me, I, I, I don't know about you, it's probably very different for you, but when I was young, I, I was 22 when I became the youth director here, and then I became the youth pastor as it went along. And the weirdest thing for me was having people come up to me when I was 23 and 24, ask me, like, advice on how they should deal with their teenagers. And I'm sitting here going, like, you know I'm almost a teenager, right? This is like, um, maybe that's why they wanted advice. But we'd sit down and talk about this. And eventually, you know, I've got, I got married and we, and we were going we to have kids pretty quick. And I'm sitting here thinking when I found out my, my, kid, my wife was pregnant, my kids were coming. I'm like, oh, wow, man, I'm going to be an awesome dad. I, this is what I really thought. I'm like, I'm going to be great at this. I've done youth ministry. I've got down the teenage life. That's pretty good. That's a hard part. And, you know, and then I'm thinking, you know, I've, I grew up with, at the age of 14. On, I had little babies in my home. I had changed tons of diapers. I'd seen all the nightmares of babies because they were little. And, and my nieces and nephews grew up in the home. We'd wrestle together and play together. So I'm thinking, I got this down, man. I'm ready to go. And then I remember that my daughter came and I'm holding her in my arms. I'm thinking, oh, this is, she's so cute. I even sat her down on my lap one day and gave her the rules of the best baby that she could ever be, you know, and did this whole thing. And next thing I know, one day I come home, my wife's crying and she's frustrated and my daughter can't stop crying. And it's like she would cry. You hold her in her arms, she'd stop. And you'd set her down, she'd start crying. And so I'm like, I got it. We got to get a swing. I rushed out to Babies R Us when it existed. And I came back and I set up the swing. That was sad, I know. It's like, Oh, it's gone. But then I set up, I set up the swing, and I, I put her in it, and I start swinging, and she goes. She starts blowing up again. I'm just like, hey, that's not working. I rushed off again, bought a sling, came back, gave the sling to my wife, put the sling. She's holding it. She's, she's trying to cook with the baby. And it's just not good because the baby's crying. It's just that nothing we did could stop my daughter from crying because her tummy was just hurting her so bad. And we didn't know what was going on at the time. We understand a little better now. But, man, there were some clear moments in the middle of all that. And then my son comes and then I got two more coming and I was raised with me. I felt comfortable when I had a daughter because I had all sisters and girl cousins. And then my son comes, I'm like, okay. Then I had two sons. Then I had three sons. And by the end of this, all I'm trying to tell you guys is I have no clue what I'm doing as a father at all. I was completely wrong. And so whatever I give to you guys today is simply just 
whatever the Bible says, because I'm still trying to figure out so many things. In fact, in good advice of a, of a father's group I, I've been a part of, um, one dad said, you know, it's a really good thing. I tell my kids this, you should try it sometime. You, you just go up to them, you hold them, you say, listen, I've never been a dad of kids your age at this time period on this day at this hour ever before. So give me some grace. Amen? <laughs> because let's be honest, I've been to the seminars, I've read the books, I, I've, I've listened to Focus on the Family, Family Life Today, and every other family thing available on the planet. I've got podcasts and, you know, all these things, and all it's ever done is not make me feel skilled, it's made me feel guilty. And so many of us as fathers and parents, your children may be out of your home, your children may be in your home, there's been a sense that when you've looked at what you're doing, you're going, how are my children going to afford the psychology bills when they leave? Because you feel like all you're doing is making mistakes, all you're doing is messing it up. As grandparents, you feel like, man, what are my kids facing? This is a crazy world because you didn't have to face what your children are facing. You know, you faced cable TV and you faced VCRs and you faced some weird stuff that I, I grew up watching come out. But now we've got iPhones and internet and you've got the, the video game world. You've got all of this stuff and you're going like, we have never been here before as a culture. We've never been here before as a humanity. We are, not, we are just guessing how to raise kids. So how in the world, uh, should we just scrap everything we've ever read? Should we just throw it all out and just say, you know, it makes me feel guilty. I'm not even go there. What, what do we do? I just want to say, we're just going to back up for a minute. I don't think all that other stuff's bad. I think it's very helpful. But what if there was a principle, one principle, one simple set of ideas that if we would just grab those, we could order and guide our parenting to enable us to actually make it, to enable our children to actually make it. Yes, there's a lot of other things we can add on top of that, but what if we could just boil it down? Let's just get the basic, right? And that's kind of what I want to offer today is the basic. We're talking about this branded living concept. And when we look at it, we start with this conversation in Colossae, that eight-year-old church, it's got some problems because it's not quite strong enough theologically to fight off this false teaching. And Paul says, you guys got to grow up. You really got to know who Jesus is and focus on Jesus. He talks about who Jesus is and he walks them through What's this look like to follow Jesus together? It's not complicated. In fact, it's just simply about following Jesus together, not all these rules and visions and other stuff. Just follow Jesus' words, his teachings. And he culminates with one final verse. The principle of the entire series is found in this verse, and it's this. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If, if you, when you, when we open this text to Colossians, or if you've got the opportunity, maybe you're at home with your Bible or whatever, watching this online, but you want to, you want to underline this. This is our point that whatever you do, whatever you do in life as, as a married couple and that order we talked about last week, or whether it's as parents or whether we, it's at work as we look at next week, no, whatever you do, whether in order to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, that in a sense that Jesus would take a stamp of approval and say, I'll mark that. I'll call that mine. That's what it means to have his name on. It's not some magic formula. It's not something else. No, it's Jesus saying, I claim that as the way that I would do that. I claim that as in my name, in my way, in the way that I would do things. 
And so Paul does. In fact, he, he challenges us as parents and he steps now into the parenting realm, having dealt with marriage. He says, now let's look at this in this community of, of parenting. So if you want to go there, buy, grab your Bible, open it up to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 20 and 21. They're, they're found in the, the app. On If you're at home, you can pull it up on the app. You can grab your Bible. You can join us uh, here on page 984 on the Bibles under the seat. So all those opportunities really encourage you to be in here to see what we're looking at. I'm going to reference this verse a few times. So it reads this way, though. It says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And all the parents said, Amen, right? <laughs> Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And all the children said, Amen, right? So this is, this is the balancing act that, that Paul lays out. He says, you want a principle? Do everything, word or deed, in the name of the Lord Jesus. But when it comes to you kiddos, when it comes to you parents, I've got two basic instructions, two bottom line principles for you. Children, here's what you need to do. You need to have the Jesus brand of obedience. As Jesus obeyed his father, as Jesus was willing to, to listen and do what his father instructed him, him to do, even to go, go to the cross and, and do things Jesus never disobeyed. So children image Christ in the same way by being obedient, by living out a life of obedience. And so he writes, children, obey your parents and everything this pleases the Lord. Just real quick, with a show of hands, how many children do I have in the room? Throw your hand up. You know, everybody should have their hand up at this point, because unless you were born by some magic I've never heard of, um, we're all children of somebody, right? So the question that really is asked on this is, is this about all of us? Do we all still need to obey our parents? And some of you older adult parents are like, I hope he says yes. No, it's not actually. Um, this is aimed primarily at children within the home who are being raised. So we're caught, we're, this is about minors. That's not Minecraft minors. That means like minors as in under the age of legal uh, right. And so in the Roman home, the father would, and the mother would train the children up. In the Jewish home, they trained them up until an age at which they were declared adults. And that was typically around 14 in their culture. In our culture, it's typically around 32. So... Um, <laughs> That's sad. That's true. Um, so it's, it's, around, it's that 18 marker around that zone. And so what we see is this is what they mean by child, children. Obey your parents in everything. And so really quick, I need to note this. This does not say parents obey your children in everything. And I don't, shouldn't need to say that. But in our current cultural age, in our current cultural moment, I need to reiterate, it's, it, parents, you have the brains that have actually finished developing. You have the experience and the knowledge of what it means to be an adult. You're, you should be at this point responsible for your bills, your car, your life, your home, your work, and yes, your children. And too many of us are kowtowing to children, afraid to tell them no, afraid that they're going to not listen to us because we're not their friend. And I've seen too many parents reverse this order that it becomes parents obey your children. Your kids want to go do this and you're like, okay, okay, I can't get Johnny to eat his, uh, his veggies, so I just give him chocolate. You know, that's what he'll, you know, whatever. We're listening to what kids say they experience inside of themselves. I mean, all of this stuff. And I just want to pull back the curtain one second and say, no offense to all you kids out there. Your kids. It's okay that you're kids. Because one day, you're not going to be kids anymore. 
And right now, when you're, when you're under the tutelage and the training of your parents, your way to please the Lord, your way to please the one who you call Lord, your way to please Jesus is through obedience. You need to obey your parents. Now, some of you youth, I'm not going to steal Jared's thunder, but I'll just, I'll just reference this for you guys as you listen to me really quickly. You need to obey your parents, but that does not mean you need to agree. Let Jared go off on that later, but I'm going to flip that back on parents. Guys, parents, too often what we seek out is conformity rather than obedience. And that's a dangerous path to walk down because oftentimes conformity means I want you to act a certain way and do a certain thing when I ask you to obey. And yet remember that Jesus has this interesting parable that he talks to the Pharisees about. He says, hey, there were two sons and his father goes to his sons and the first son, he says, son, go work out in this field. And he says, yes, but he didn't go. And the second son, he comes up and he says, go out into the field and do this thing. He says, no, but he went out and didn't. He says, which son obeyed his father? Which one do you think he was pleased with? It was the son who did the work. Because though he said no and disagreed with what he wanted to do, he still obeyed. Too often we want the yes, dad, and then they don't do anything. We're, we feel great that we got the upfront yes, but we didn't get any follow through, which drives you crazy. Versus the honest no, and yet they go and do what they need to do. Though they may not do it with the right attitude yet, we can address the attitude and help them shape that. But we need to honor that they obeyed. And too often we focus and ignore that they've obeyed, even though they did it in the worst attitude possible, even though they did it in disagreement. And yet you all of us realize we disagreed with our parents, right? And none of you are a clone of your parents. You don't parent the way your parents did if you, because you got married to somebody who was parented differently. You parent the way you guys parent. You're going to disagree. We have to allow our children the room to disagree with us. And to not agree with our political positions, even religiously at times. And we go like, whoa, 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 that's scary. No, you got to give them the room to think through this stuff. My, my children, I, I like to put it this way. You say this all the time. I got four pagans in my home because you're not born a Christian. You have to receive Christ. My job is to help them get to that place where they have received Jesus. And, and what happened was, is that Honestly, my, my, my kiddos have gone through a process of like, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you too? Do I love Jesus? And I'm, that's where we're at. And I love it because I'm allowing them to open the can and explore the problem and own their faith. I'm not seeking conformity. They may never want to be in a church like this one when they get older. I just pray they're following Jesus no matter what it looks like. And they're following Jesus together with others. Now, that sounds scary, but we need to watch ourselves because obedience is, is what the ch kids you guys are called to do. Children in the room, un you're under your tutelage, your parents, you're called to obedience. And I want to advise you, it's a great idea to obey. Now, my kids are in the room, so this is like, can somebody else tell them because they're not listening to me? So, um, but I get to tell you guys for a second. Uh, th this is what the scripture says, but it, it adds a, an aspect to it that I want you guys to see. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for it's right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first command with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Do you see that? If you obey, what does it do? It goes well with you. Man, you want to know the secret? You want to have a great life? You want to be able to have freedoms with your parents and have freedoms to do things? Obey them. Obey them. When they say you need to be home at this time, come home early. And they go like, oh, my kid's responsible. You watch a parent, it's like catnip, man. Those parents are like, I'll let my kid do anything. They're just so obedient. It's like, this is the best way to have the freedom. Obey your parents. You know why? Because parents 
we, we get this weird thing. A dad feels like he's respected when you obey him. Do you know that? You want your, your dad to feel like, you, dad, for Father's Day, I want to show you I respect you. I will obey you all day. Man, he's just like, this is the best day of my life. In fact, I was joking with my kids. They're asking us what, what superhero power we would want to have. We were at the dinner table and my wife likes, I would love to have the ability to sleep six hours only and have all the energy in the world. And I was like, that's great. Mine would be that I could ask you guys to do anything and you would do it. And because that would be a superpower. I mean, that would be a superpower. And the reason I say that is that because, man, when you do, guys, kids, teenagers, youth in the room, children in the room, when you do, parents want to give you more freedom because we can trust you. And it goes well because our goal is not to restrict you down into little slaves and not let you do anything. <laughs> I'm a parent. No, that's not what it is. Our goal is to turn you into adults. And you know what? You may not agree that you should have to make your bed. Yeah, we know it gets messy again. I used the same excuse when I was your age. The funny thing is, I have to own my own bed now. I have to own my own room and house and pay for it. And it breaks when I don't clean it. And I can't find it when I need it. And sometimes I need it because I got to pay a bill and it's bad that I can't find it. And what we're doing is you, we're giving you guys little microcosms of adulthood, little tiny places of adulthood so that if you would obey and we give you instructions on how, we'll grow that adulthood until you're finally an adult. Because one day that bed's yours. One day that dog is yours. One day that cat is going to depend on you to exist or it's going to leave and depend upon itself. One day, that church is going to depend on you. That job is going to depend on you. And what our job is to give you abilities and strengths so that you can learn how to live in that world. And if you want to do that well and live long in the land, the Bible says obey your parents. Now, parents, that means that we need to be careful what we instruct our children. We need to be careful in how we tell our children what to do. We don't just get to tell them whatever. I remember, I remember back in the day that, that when, and, and kids, you, this will blow your minds. Phones had these things called cords attached to them. It was crazy. They actually went into the wall and called a jack. And you had to plug it in. And then it had this receiver and this big, long cord. And it was always a big, long cord when I was a teenager because you had to walk everywhere with it. But inevitably, every phone in the home rang at the same time when somebody called. And so you could be anywhere and you would hear this. Ring, 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 ring. And you, your mom would yell, Greg, can you get that for me? And you'd be like, okay. And you pick it up and you go, Hello? I mean, Harris residence. Hi, is your mother there? Um, hold on. Who is this? Aunt Susie. Okay, hold on. Hey, Mom! Aunt Susie's on the phone. Tell her I'm not here. <laughs> she says she's not here. <laughs> because what else are you going to do, right? Because we just asked our kids to lie. Huh. You remember that problem? You're like in a moral dilemma. I'm not supposed to lie, but my mom just told me to lie. What do I do? Now, that's a small microcosm of the idea, but realize the power that we have to tell our children to do things. We can tell them to do the wrong things. And Jesus says, whatever you do, whether it's in word or deed, 
Do it in the name of the Lord. Do it so that he would stamp his name on it. If we're allowing our children to do something, we're asking our children to step into something, let's be sure that we're not asking them to sin because Jesus, honestly, Mr. Loving and Gentle, ain't so loving and gentle when it comes to people who make children sin. Notice what Jesus himself says. He says in Matthew 18, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Yikes, that's Jesus? Yeah. He says, look, It is better for you to drown a horrific, drowning death than to laugh because you gave your kid a joint. Because you thought it was funny to get him to cuss. Because you thought he was a man in the way that he used that girl. And in our promotion of evil in our children, Jesus says, "Mm -mm, I don't think so. It's not funny to make your kid go do something sinful. It's downright dangerous to your soul. And it would be better you drowned in a horrific situation than for you to face Jesus in the judgment day for making a child sin. That's a freaky thought. But Jesus is clear. We as parents, we as grandparents need to be very, very careful what we instruct our children. And so guys, teenage children, know the Bible so that you know not just the Bible stories, Know the Ten Commandments. Know what God's called us to do in life so that you can know when you should say, no, I can't do that. I follow Jesus because you want to please the Lord, who I hope is the Lord of your parents and the Lord of you as well. And as Christians in a home, he is the Lord that we have. And we want to aim our children to follow Jesus together. And so we need to be a people who are serious about this. And one of the most dangerous things that we can do is give our children instruction and command them to do something and do it for the wrong motivations. Here's the danger that can occur. As parents, we can get caught in asking our kids to do something. And when they obey, we give them our love. And when they don't, we give them our wrath. And so what we imply is that when you're obedient, I love you. But when you're not, you don't get my love. You earn my love. You know, many of us have been caught in the belief that that's how God works because that's how our parents worked. We think, oh, see the Ten Commandments and all these rules? God wants us to follow these rules so he'll love us. And that's not the case. God loves you unconditionally, so he gives you rules to protect your life. God loves you unconditionally, so he sets up boundaries so that you don't destroy yourself. Just like a parent who loves you says, don't go play in this busy street. And so God, from his love, gives us commands. And we show our love in return by obeying him, Jesus says. We don't earn God's love with our commands. And so we need to be careful to give our love unconditionally. One of the practices that I've tried to do with my kids and is to lean into them at night. And I don't do this all the time, but I've done it enough that they know what I'm talking about. I'll lean into them and say, hey, do you know how much I love you? And it started when, when one of my kids would be like, oh, you love me this much. You know, I was like, no, no, how much do I love you? Oh, so much. I love, yeah, I love you so much. Will I ever stop loving you? And they'd go, no. And I said, never, never. Now that's unconditional love until I was reading this. I realized I need to add something to that. So I added it this week just to kind of see what happens. So I said, I went through the whole thing. No, I I love you. Never. Will I ever stop loving you? No, never, never. Do I love you more when you're good? And they go, yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, 
whoops. I said, no, 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 no. I don't love you more when you're good. You don't? Do I love you more when you're bad? Uh, no. Do I love you more when you're successful? No. Do I love you more when you failed? And they got it. No. Whether you're successful, whether you're good, whether you're bad, whether you're a failure, whether you've made tons of money or you don't, whether you get good grades or not, you know what? I love you no matter what. That's unconditional love. And from that love, I want to draw some boundaries of safety for you. If you obey me, you'll learn what it is to live life. That's why we don't send our children out to sin. We don't call them to evil. No, we want to see them grow up in a love that's unconditional. And we need to be careful because Jesus can't stamp his stamp of approval on commands that require us to love when they're good or give our love because of their obedience. That's not what's called here. And so we need to be careful. Now, on the... what do we do about adult children for a second? Yeah, you know, there is that zone of sometimes it's up to, you know, like 20-something up to 60-something that the kid is still in their home. And I say 60 facetiously, obviously, because Kevin Kane told this story to us when he came home from, he came here to California to, to take on this job. He, he had to move into his mom's home with his wife and his daughter. And uh, while he was there, he's like, Mom, aren't you proud of me? I'm 60 and I'm at, back at home. You know, that kind of thing. So I'm not talking about transitional, but there are times where our kids are in transitional um, situations where they come back into your home. Maybe they're living after college. Maybe it's during college. Maybe they're technically adults, but they're still in your home. What, what, yeah, obey me, right? No, actually, I don't want to say children obey your parents. That's not what it means. But guess what? If you're an adult child living in your home, if you are a, um, if you're a parent with an adult child living in your home, the, the response is honor your father and your mother. Honor exists all of life. And honor is given. You lift up your parents no matter what. Respect and honor is given when you live in your parents' home. What do I mean by that? When I, let me just t- paint the picture. That when you live in your parents' home, you want to honor their home by lifting it up. The, your parents' home ought to be better because you're there, not worse. What I mean by that is when you left, there's clearly a detriment. Why keep your room clean when you're an adult living in your home? Because you want to lift that household up. Why communicate where you're going to be at night and when you're going to be out? Because guess what? When my wife leaves, she communicates to me where she's going to be at night and when she's going to be home. And when I leave, I communicate to my wife where I'm going to be at night and where we're going to be home because that's how adults work. And when you live in your home and you live with your parents in their home, it's their home. They're going to freak out about you. Honor them by saying, I'll call you. I'll tell you where I'm at. I'll tell you what time. Parents, respect your children that they're adults by, going, by not, you don't get to set dates and boundary lines and all that stuff. They're adults. Don't bail them out of jail. Don't do, you know, just let them deal with their own consequences. They're adults. I hope they don't go to jail, but I'm just saying. <laughs> Communicate. Set your boundaries. And if they can't meet the boundaries, let them know they can go somewhere else. They're adults. They can't live in this state. They can live in others. They're adults. That's hard. But respect their adulthood. And those of you who live in your parents' home, honor your parents' home. Honor your parents. It ain't your home. And just as you would want somebody to respect your home when they're in it, do unto others as you would have them do to you. Live out Christ together. And so I believe it's honor that is the case there. And honor never stops. Honor is always given. It isn't earned. It is not earned. You give it. And so now 
otherwise, I have no clue because I'll, I'll, when I get there, I'll let you know what I discovered. So we want to move now into another angle because Paul does. Paul goes from the children now shifts into the fathers. He shifts to dads. This is interesting. He says, dad, you need to use the Jesus's brand of love to lead your kids. And notice how he puts it here in verse 21. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And he aims at fathers. There's a word for parents. He just used that. He aims at fathers because in the Roman world, dads ruled everything. They could tell you when the child lived. They could tell you who got to teach the child. They led the child's direction in education. They said when the child left mom, dad was ruler of the home in the Roman world. So what Paul does, says, dads, listen up. I need to limit your power. Now, I believe there's a second reason that it focuses in on dads because today in our current culture, moms and dads, this applies to both of us because we can both fail at this. But when it comes to, when it comes to dads, there's something interesting that any minister has found. In fact, it's been kind of written down and there's books about it and talk about it. As you counsel people in their struggles of God, the most interesting thing, and look at your own heart in this, what's fascinating is when somebody's wrestling with God, oftentimes they're wrestling with a God who images their father. The way they think of God treating them is the way their dad treated them. So that when you look at famous atheists, most of the time, most of the time, well on 90%, they had dads who were either absent in the home or died at young ages. And so their dad was in this sense gone. And how did they view God? Non-existent, gone. When I talk to people who struggle with prayer, oftentimes they're like, well, I just don't feel like God communicates back to me. I don't feel like there's this connection with God. I don't get it. And we start talking about their dad and how their dad didn't really talk to them, didn't really care, didn't really approach them, didn't engage them. That the way that you as a dad acts oftentimes impresses upon us the way that God is. So much so that I find it weird in my own heart. I got to engage God. I got to be the one who goes to God. God doesn't just come and smack me upside the head. I got to go pray and talk to God. And early on, I had to wrestle through, wow, wait a minute, that's that's how me and my dad are. And now I'm having to go, no, God is God. He's not my dad, my earth, like my earthly dad. And I got to let the word of God change the way that I relate to him and not allow my father on earth affect my father in heaven. And so just dads know that that is kind of constituted within a lot of your presence and a lot of your words. But this goes together. And parents, I think, we can say today, do not provoke your children. It means don't put them in a sense of embitterment. So don't embitter your children with your words. Don't embitter, don't get them frustrated and bound up and bitter because of the way that you speak to them. Now, that may be in multiple ways. We may speak to them with, with, with just crushing, harsh terms. Or maybe it's, we're flippant. We just say mean things we don't even realize. You're a jerk. You know, whatever. It flies out of your mouth. You don't even realize it. In other cases, maybe it's because we're just not willing to say the hard things, so we say nothing. And, And there's this whole pattern that we need to be careful that we don't provoke our children. We don't cause them to be angry, seething. I still want to focus in on words for a second because Paul actually tells the church how we should speak to each other. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Notice that no corrupting talk. That's talk that breaks down, degrades, burns up, bagging and tearing each other up and poking at each other. No, but only as such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And I know the objections, I've heard them. 
but come on, it, it, you're babying your kids. If you don't tell them harsh things and strong things, you know what? They're not going to be able to survive the bullies. They're not going to be able to be out there. We, I, you know what? I took it hard when I was a kid. They can take it hard too. Okay. Okay. I disagree. And here's why. Kids are hard enough on themselves. If you stop long enough to listen to what a kid thinks about themselves, you'll discover they're constantly tearing themselves down and comparing themselves to others. Simple evidence Malcolm Gladwell gives us. He starts off early on. He says, what he loves to do is ask children of preschoolers in a room, how many of you guys are artists? Every preschooler goes, I am. And they go, look at my flower. And you're like, that's a flower? And you like, look at that. And oh, okay. Kindergarten, everybody still raises their hand. By third grade, it's down to 50%. By the time you're in high school, it's less than 10% think they're artists. And in that whole process, it's because they've looked at other people. They've been told they're not good at it. They don't think they have any, they compare themselves. And so where they had maybe some skill at the beginning, they just abandoned it because it's not as good as X, Y, or Z. Kids are constantly critical. This happens in writing. This happens in math. This happens in learning. This happens in school, sports, life. And then we weigh our children down with this huge burden. You can be anything you want to be. That's a lie and corrupting talk. You want to know why? How would you like for me to come up to you and say, you can do anything you want? And you're sitting there going, no, I can't. I got to figure that out for myself. I don't even know who I am. You don't know who you are half the time as parents. Let's be honest. We're like, uh, I'm really that mean? Yeah. Your wife tells you, you're like, oh, I didn't see it. Yeah, we tell our kids, you can be whoever you want, figure it out. And so we have identity crisis all over the place. Instead of helping them say, you know what, honey? You don't need to go on American Idol and sing because you can't. <laughs> but in fear, we'll lose our children and they will hate us. We can't tell them the truth. Sometimes telling the truth is building someone up and not tearing them down. You know, sometimes we needed to tell you, yeah, well, you're not the best musician, but you know what? You're super creative. I think you could write a really good story. Yeah, you know, you're not the most creative, but you are so good at math. That's huge. You know, some people, here's some things mathematicians do. They become engineers. They build this stuff. Yeah, sometimes we need to close a door and open a, a trajectory for our children and empower them into the direction God calls them to do and not say anything can go. And they're going like, really? Oh, what am I going to do? I got to go find myself. No. You're the parent. You know who they are. The community sees who they are. Speak into those things. Build them up. We don't tear down and pummel. You want to see somebody who's strong against a bully? You want to see somebody who doesn't care what the bully says? Somebody who knows their Lord and knows their purpose. Christians have been bullied for every century known to humanity. We are being persecuted in the maximum, and we stand firm in our faith, unwilling to move because we know our God and we know our purpose. Amen. You want to teach your children something? Teach them their purpose in the Lord and teach them to follow after him and they'll have strength like you've never seen. They'll have purpose and they'll have direction. And so you go, if you're critically minded like I am, I'm a critically minded person. We live in a critically minded world. I have to be careful. And so I've, I've sat here after I wrote that line, I'm just going like, what? How do you do that? How do you encourage and not falsely encourage? And not, how do you do this right? How do you build up? And then I remembered this verse in Philippians 4.8. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, 
whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. If you want to find these things in your children, find these things in your spouse, find these things in the community, then you speak those truths and you build each other up. So we can encourage one another with unconditional love. And we say, no, honey, you're not really good at that. We need to move you over here. We need to do that in the church a little bit more. I mean, come on. We, sometimes we need to be able to have some guts and know it's not unloving to walk up to somebody and say, hey, you know, you're scaring the children. We think you'd be better in accounting. And that's okay. We need, to, we need to have the willingness to be kind to each other, to point us in new directions, new trajectories, new vistas, because God doesn't bless us all with the same gifts even. And so why would we say these kind of things? We want to find what's true in our children, what's honorable, what's just, what's pure, what's lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy. We build on those things. And that's a building foundation so they're strong and they're firm in the Lord. We don't need to tear them down to make them tough. No, 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 no. You build them up to make them strong for purpose and direction and the knowledge of their God. Otherwise, we tear them down. We embitter them. We don't want to embitter them with our attitudes, with our, with our body language. You know, a child, when he is born, has no knowledge of words. He can't even see it first. All he knows or she knows is the touch. And the original touch is gentle and careful. And the first human touch is, is, needs to be this carefulness, this love of caressing and nearness. Then they see their first sight is a human face. And I hope it wasn't this. I hope it was a smiling, happy face. Because your children, when they see you, they don't know your words. All they hear is, you're like, but they see this face and they feel this touch and they hear this joy and they sense love or anger or frustration or peace. That's why children, when daddy gets home and he storms off the room without a word, they go, what's wrong with dad? Oh, nothing, honey. Oh, no, they know. They know when you're fighting, and you know, they don't even have to be in the room. Children are intuitive about emotions because they don't have words to bog down the emotions. Somewhere around teenage life and, and later, we have to retrain ourselves that, oh, yeah, body language and, and emotion is part of the human communication methodology. Then what we realize is that too often we come to our children, and the only time we give them eye contact is when we're disciplining them. Look at me! And eye contact is the most intimate connection we can have with another human being. And we need to say, look at me, because I want to express love to you sometimes. You need to touch with affection and gentleness. You need to touch with love. You need to pull close, even when you're angry, to care. And not, not that. If you, if you have trouble touching kindly when you're angry, put yourself in timeout. Don't put your kids there. Until you've calmed yourself down to come back with love. Because we can embitter our children with our presence and our touch. doesn't matter what our words are. I love you is not the same as I love you. 
And so there are times to back away so that we can don't embitter our children. We need to give them that unconditional love. Otherwise, what happens is they become broken. They become bitter. They give up. And that's what he says here in verse 21. He says they become discouraged. And that word discouragement is found in one word, whatever. And whatever comes in this, whatever. Or it comes in whatever. Both of those is a life given up. One has given up on the hopes and dreams. The other has given up on obeying you. But either way, they're done. Oftentimes done with the Lord and done with you. Both lead in critically dangerous positions. And it's done by embitterment. Now, now always, sometimes our children choose these routes, even though you've done the best that you can, because guess what? They're human beings with a will. They're not machines. And in the case of an embittered, frustrated child, what do you do? I'm going to tell you what you do as best as I know how because I haven't had this situation yet. You love as our Lord loved us unconditionally when we were rebellious against him. And I doubted this point in my message until after last service when a, when a lady, a dear friend of ours, came up to me. And we've been talking about her son for years and years. He's been in rebellion as an adult all of his life, even writing nasty letters to her about how he hates her guts and hates her Jesus and never wants to see her again. She came to me about five or six years ago with these letters going like, what do I do? And I'm like, do what God did. You're a mom. Love unconditionally. Never stop. And, you know, kind of thing. And she said, how, I don't know, the Holy Spirit apparently at that moment, because she heard it in a way that she was like, it was the most powerful thing for her in her life. She just kept sending the presents and sending the kind letters and loving on him. It's getting married next month to a Christian girl. He's going to church. He loves Jesus. He weeps that he ever sent something like that to her. Unconditional love is what changes hearts. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Study your Lord's love. Study his way that he has loved us, and you will see the route as any parent should love their child in rebellion because oftentimes they're in rebellion because they didn't receive that love from someone. It doesn't always be a parent. Sometimes it's peers. Sometimes it's a church. But as parents, you have the powerful ability to pour in that unconditional love because our goal at a home is to create a place that launches children to the Lord. I think that's ultimately what he's saying. We need to be a people who launch our children to the Lord. And, and we, I want you to hear that again. As parents and grandparents, it's your job to make the home a place to launch your children to the Lord. It is not the job of the children's ministry. It is not the job of the youth ministry they get your children for maybe an hour a week. Your coaches of your teams have more time with your children than our youth ministry and our children's ministry. There's more influence coming from a field than from church. So let's just realize the biggest influencer still in the life of every teenager, in the life of every child, is the parent. No matter what they say, even in studies, when you get the teenager away and you ask them, they ultimately say, mom and dad are the most important person in my life. Don't waste that. 
build a home that launches your children. We give you guys resources on a stack out there. We want to give you guys directions, things like books like Boundaries that helps you begin to learn how to rightly build boundaries in your life so that you can appropriately know how to love within a, within a range and not give up on, on them, those kind of things. We have all these books, but one of the great things that I want to offer to you guys is to remind you here at Olive Branch, we pay for this thing called Right Now Media. That if you'll go onto our website and go to our small group section and sign up there, you can sign up for Right Now Media. It's on all the different platforms. It's on smart TVs as apps. And you open it up, it's like a Christian Netflix. Not like for movies, but for like studies. It's got Bible studies, small group studies, leadership studies. It's got teen youth studies. It's got children. The children's section's awesome. My kids have watched everything from what's in the Bible with Buck Denver to Superbook. Anybody remember that? I think they even like have um, like... They have weird stuff on there. But anyway, you, you, can, you can help select that out. You begin to help your kids go through all of this training on biblical learning. Right now, my little guys, they're, they're all enjoying this, like, drive-through history with Dave Stotts and others of them are watching, the, uh, watching some, you know, what's in the Bible with Buck Denver. My, my son right now is investing himself in, in this training by Sean McDowell on, how, on apologetics, and he's just eating it up. And then my daughter is, is going to be entering with my wife on a study, all on this stuff. We don't have to make it up. It's just right there. Boom. Available to you guys as people who go to Olive Branch. You have a resource center to train your family. And that's what we would love for you guys to be able to do. On top of that, though, let me give you a simple verse to help you guide and conduct your family living in life. It's found in Deuteronomy. We use this verse when we dedicate our children and it says this. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall, te teach, them, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. It's like in front of the television. When you're all on your screens, when you're sitting in the home and it's time to read something together, sitting at a meal or standing around watching somebody make dinner, whatever it is, it's when you're kind of settled in your house. When you walk by the way, that's travel time. And we get a lot of that in the freeway, on the, you know, out, on the tri out on the bike ride, up in the hills. You end up with this time when you lie down, when you put them to bed, go over your day, pray together, talk about the Lord. When when you rise, when you get up in the morning, what, what's God got for you today? Can you keep your eyes open on this? Here's a scripture for us to think about today. You know, I did my quiet time. I just leave my Bible open so you can see that I was in it. Are you in it? This kind of stuff just engenders a world where the Bible is saturating the lives of everybody in your home. It goes on. Bind them as a sign in your hands. They'll be in the frontlets between your eyes. Some of you guys, you've taken this seriously. Like you tattooed it on. You're like, boom, I got scripture here. It's part of your body. Some of you, you're like, I'm not going that far. You wear a t-shirt that's like, says, I love Jesus. I got my Jesus hat. I got a cross on. Some of you guys even still do the sign of the cross or if it's this, whatever. And then there's some of us who are like, yeah, I get it. That's cool. But really, we all know that it means that you live this out. You love God and you live it and it shines through you so other people can see it. So your children catch it. They just don't see it in the home. They don't just talk about it. They watch it lived. And the last, you put it right on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You put it in the most important sections. The doorposts of the house and the gates was where everybody did commerce and conversations, where you greeted people when they came into your home. And when you met with your neighbor, you had the rules and the commands right there. You know, from one of the places that advise you to put and hang stuff in your home and put material for you to read about God is in the bathroom. I can't tell you how powerful the bathroom is. And you're like, that's weird. I'm serious. 
one wall thing. My grandmother had one thing in her home that was biblical, and that was the Lord's Prayer on a wall in her bathroom. I memorized the Lord's Prayer because when you're in the bathroom, you need something to look at. And you're sitting there going like, oh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be that. And I just memorized it there as a little kid. I'll tell you what, what's in the bathroom sometimes is the most powerful stuff. What's where? Because you spend a lot of time in that location. You spend a lot of time in the kitchen. Where are the daily routines happening? Put the word of God there. Put it so it's remembered and memorized. Put it so it's invading your heart. Give your children an unconditional love. Build that seedbed. Set the boundaries so that they find a place to live and walk in and they don't have to see their lives um, crumbling by disobedience. No, no, give them the boundaries and love. Point them in the direction of the Lord with unconditional love and just put him everywhere and give them the best chance. Does it mean they'll follow Jesus? Not always. They have a will. And this is a world in which they have to deal with lots of things, but give them the best that you can. And let's leave the rest to the Lord. It's a simple principle. Whatever you do as a parent, whatever you do as a child, whether it's word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I just lift up those in this room right now who, you know, they're going through just all kinds of stuff in their minds. I know me, I am. God, not to feel guilty or induced, but maybe to leave here a little bit more empowered by your spirit and your word. Now, whether it's with our rebellious children, whether it's the children in our home, whether it's our grandchildren, I pray that you would just help us to be a people who are after you to, to, to follow you together, to allow your word to shape the way that we treat and love our children and that our children obey and grow to be men and women who love you. And love us in return. God, would you just bless this group, all who are listening to this, that they might have wisdom in knowing how to love and lead their kids. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.